transitioning from one piece to the next. And uh, what really struck me is that the whole service is a worship to the Lord, even the announcements, because we celebrate the ministries that are out of this church, the things that we're doing that touch the neighborhood and the world, and uh, it should just be a continuation. Uh, even greeting each other is a form of fellowship where we, we just share Jesus. So yeah, I think when I remember that, it makes, um, it makes the time more enjoyable because I'm not trying to produce something that isn't there. I'm just being who God has made me to be. So, Well, if you notice the title, some people here do series. I do genres. <laughs> so uh, we did stuff, remember, last year for a while, and then I got tired of stuff because everyone asked me what the next stuff was, so we had to change because I don't want to be that predictable. So now we're into 60s and 70s classic rock titles, <laughs> which can go on a long time. <laughs> That could be a series through the rest of the millennial here. Um, but the song, The Times They Are Changing, is a Bob Dylan song from 1965. I will not read it to you, nor will I sing it. <laughs> but if you listen to it at some point, it, it has actually become a very prophetic song of where we're at now. It talks about children rebelling against their parents and rebelling against the government and everything else that we're looking at now. And... Um, Someone sent me a copy of uh, a Reverend Joe Wright's prayer. They, they sent it to me this week, which I, I was reading, and I'm thinking, that sounds different than the last time I read it. So I got on a website. Actually, the prayer was done in 1996, so I'm not sure if they're trolling me or trying to get me to respond. But when I looked at the way it was written, there were several lines that had been deleted out of the prayer, and they dealt with the social issues that are now acceptable. So alternative lifestyles, uh, multiculturalism, which is basically worshiping other gods. That was in there. Um, not disciplining children, because we call it uh, building self-esteem. And we're seeing that. So those lines were taken out. And I'm thinking, why would you take those out, really? But then uh, Pastor Tim and I, and I think Kevin this week, we had a meeting and there was a ministry that was wanting to get involved with us, so we, I read the Statement of Faith. And the, the top half of it is basically the Declaration of Independence. Jesus doesn't get mentioned until the middle, and it starts with all men are created equal with unalienable rights. I don't have any rights. And we've, we've allowed this, this twisted view to come into the church, and then we wonder why we have no voice, and we have no impact, and we're ridiculed, and then we say, well, we're supposed to love our enemies. They're not even our enemies. They're just laughing at us, because we've got really nothing to say and nothing to offer them. But so the Lord's been dealing with me about um, what's, go what's going on with me. So let's start with Luke 12, 54 to 56. He said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it you do not discern the time? And most of us in this congregation are mature. If you're a non-believer, 
I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to you today while I'm talking, and there will be people to talk with you after I'm done. But most of us here have been following the Lord for a long time, and we're growing, we're mature. We've been, we've been being fed steak for years. I mean, we are so spoiled with what we've been fed. And my frustration is that with all the feeding and all the teaching and all the things I understand, both here and here, it's not producing in my life the way it should be producing. It, it's, it's just, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And the enemy always seems to have something held back that keeps me from being able to get to that next level of effectiveness. Not, not to gain a name. Please hear me. I don't care if anybody ever knows my name. I don't care if anybody ever knows your name. What I want to do is I want to get to heaven and Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we've been singing all morning that it's all about him. And every time we, we mix him and us, we pollute it. We pollute his presence. And so I have this picture. If you could put it up. That is the church in America primarily. We are fed and fat and completely immobilized. And I was wondering why that is, uh, because we are really good at, at, at understanding and knowing what lies are. If you've been here any length of time, you've been taught who you are in Christ. And you know the lies that you believe. And we've got books on it. Carol's taught on it, wrote on it. We've all understand it. And we're really, really good at detecting lies, but we're horrible at detecting deception. And so we know the truth, but we're deceived into complete immobilization for whatever reason. And much of the church honestly looks like that picture. Every church I go to, other than this one, of course, this one's exceptional. <laughs> Percentage-wise, I'd say we probably are, but I don't want to say that. Cut that off the tape. Uh, I mean, I go to places where they argue about the color of the carpet. And they wonder why they have no voice in the city. You don't have a voice in the city because you're arguing about your carpet. And I don't want to be like that. And deception is always connected to us. You see, you can't deceive me unless I have an appetite for something I don't want to give up. Because the word's clear. You'll know the truth. Truth will set you free. The only time it doesn't set you free is when you deny it. And I only deny it when it attaches to an appetite I like. And so I have to find a way to justify it. And I become immobile. And every time I do, I get another string strapping me down. Because I can't see that. But just for the record, I've never seen the movie. I only needed the movie poster. I don't know if it's a good movie or a bad movie. But <laughs> just another disclaimer. I live disclaimers. And I believe in, this time, in these times that he is going to deal with every area in our lives that isn't completely right. And in the past, it's been okay to play, but it won't be anymore. And I read the, the story of Samson, and the, the, you know, you're all familiar with it. He toys with the Philistines and does all these things. And you know what I came out of the story with? He played with his anointing. He thought he could mix his humor with God's anointing on his life. And it ended up costing him his life in the end. And it will do the same for us. And as we discern, try to discern the times and seasons that we're in, we, we don't have that luxury anymore. 
I've been around the mountain 50 times, just like the Israelites. It's like, it's like God says, okay, go around again. Go around again. He orders a Coke. Go around again. Well, he doesn't. No, not a Coke. I'm sorry. A juice. A, a juice smoothie. Um, but I've done things that could have taken six weeks. It took six years. Just because I'm, I'm just silly like that sometimes. But I really sense in my spirit that we can't do that anymore. That from now on, you're going to go around the mountain, and if you're not lined up, you're going to be left. Not left behind, like you're not going to heaven. But God's going to move on because the times are coming that it's got to be quick. And no matter what I learn or experience here, if I don't have my life right, it's not going to produce. And it's going to, I'm just going to be rendered completely immobile. And Samson played with his anointing, and some of us have done the same thing because we say things like, well, you know, the... the Gifts and callings of God are without repentance, which means they will work. Even when you're not working right, they will work for a season. But it can cost you your life if you're not paying attention. And they are irrevocable, but they're not without accountability. And we will answer to God for how we use our gifts. And honestly, I have done this. I have learned how to teach enough to get by. I didn't do it this morning, but you know what I mean? I, I know what I can do, and I know how to, how to deflect and do all these things. But see, it doesn't really matter what you see. It matters what, what God shows me in here. And I, I, as we come up to these times, I think it's serious. I really do. I've never felt um, something in my heart. Now, I know it's for me, so, you know, wherever you are, that's fine. The sons of Issachar in, in 1 Chronicles twelve thirty-two said that they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and their brethren were at their command. And Issachar was the ninth son of Jacob and through wisdom and understanding, they not only knew what was going on in the times, but they knew what Israel should do about it, which is both. It doesn't do any good to know what, what the times are if you don't know what to do about it. But they did both. And because of that, they were successful. And I want to suggest to you that we can know that as well. And I think we're pretty aware of the times. And I'm not, I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm the ultimate optimist. I round everything up. It's always going to get better. And, uh, but the time, we're in the end times. You could say that and, uh, and be completely right. <clears throat> but we still have to know what to do. What season are we in in the end times? And this whole year of organic, it bringing, it, it's bringing life from within. It's dealing with the roots. It's, it's learning to cover each other. It's learning to go deep where we need to go deep. It's need to be connected where we need to be connected so the enemy can't get us. But we have to know what season we're in and how to get through it. And I believe in the, in the, next, se- in the next time, we're going to have at least three successive seasons. And they're going to come in order. Uh, 
And they're going to be on, and each one has a purpose. And first one is uh, cleansing and separation. And so what the Lord's been doing with me lately is, I've always wanted to know him better. I've always said that from the front, and, and I do. I do want that. But in the process of that, he begins to show you what's really going on in here. And so the last month, I've said things that were totally fine. And God has said, nope, there it is. I'm like, what do you mean there it is? That was fine. That was funny. They laughed. He said, your motivation was wrong. They don't know that. And I was up, I came through uh, Detroit last Sunday through the airport and uh, was talking to a girl. I was getting a water or something and made some silly comments, you know, just to get a chuckle. And I felt so convicted. And it wasn't, there was nothing wrong with the comment. Don't, don't let your mind, well, I'm not talking about anything bad, evil, suggest, nothing, suggest, nothing. It was just a comment. And then she told me about her back hurting. And I couldn't pray for her. I thought, my heart's not right. I'm misrepresenting the Father. Now, she doesn't know any of that. I prayed for her under my breath. But I never had the confidence to say, may I pray for you? Because I had already gotten into this kind of this nebulous nothing universe where God's word is true, and, and then what you say is fine, but it doesn't produce any life. And it's just how God's dealing with me, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to put this on you. I can't put that on you. But he is showing me. I, I mean, Wednesday, I was with Dominic for a minute. You know, which I usually need counseling after that. But um, he made a comment, and I made a comment back. I don't even know if he remembered it. And the, the point was that when I left him, I'm not sure he was thinking more about Jesus than he was when we met or thinking more about the world. And that bothered me because there has to be a complete separation from the world if you're going to have a voice. If you're going to say anything, you cannot be tainted by the world. And it's... Um, and I, I can't tell you what it is. You have to ask the Lord, where am I connected? Where do I get things from the world that I'm not supposed to be getting? But he wants to remove that stain. Acts 17, 26 says, For in him we live and move and have our being, and also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Outside of him, you have re-entered the world. There is no play area where you can just kind of hang out and not be touched. And so I, I was, you know, since the kids are in here, I want to show you that I, I have a little clip. This is called Farm Saga. And what I want you to do is uh, the above the green, we'll call that the world, and below the green, we'll call that the kingdom. And if you'll notice, anytime something from the world touches into the kingdom, it turns them black and you get no points. It has to be completely in the kingdom to get anything. But if you're connected in any way, it actually comes into the kingdom. I mean, it's not really the kingdom. And I have graduated to Candy Crush. But 
wherever there's that crossing of the world and the kingdom, it becomes the world. It doesn't become the kingdom. You have to be fully in the kingdom to change the world into the kingdom. And I thought that was the most appropriate picture I could get of it, sadly. <laughs> I, need a better, I need a better database of, you know, object lessons. <laughs> but if I participate in the world, I lose my voice. And so many times where I've wanted to do something or say something or, or be something for someone, I didn't have the authority to do it because I looked just like them. I said I had something different, but I was just like them. And so it didn't help at all. And I know that you're thinking that, you know, well, God can still do what he wants to do. Of course he can. I'm not suggesting he can't. But he desires a relationship, and he desires us doing it with him. And really, if we're not going to, we're just sucking air out of this place. We're really not contributing anything, honestly. And I don't mean that to be harsh, but it's the truth. He came to bring division. He didn't come to bring make everything nice. And that's in Luke 12, 51 to 53. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And sometimes we look at division as a negative thing. But I like to look at it more as how about a distinctive thing? That the division comes because you look different, not because you're more aggressive in the way you approach life. It's because you are different. It's a distinction that Jesus came to bring. And I don't think it's negative. I think it, it, it forces people to choose if you're distinct. But if you look the same, there's nothing to choose. You bring confusion. All you're doing is adding legalism to their lives, not life. Legalism comes from external control. Righteousness comes from internal. It's the Holy Spirit through Jesus in you that produces righteousness. Legalism is when you're trying to force someone else to do what you want them to do. And it's got no life in it. <coughs> and I bring confusion. And I, look the, I ask for something different but look completely the same. And I lose the ability to discern what's happening. Second Corinthians six seventeen, Paul quoting Isaiah says, Come out from and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will rescue you. So we have to come out, we, we have to take a season to come out of the world, be cleansed, and ready to, to go back in. All right, that'll be, I think that will be the first season. The second season is obedience. I think it's, it's learning complete and total obedience on a momentary notice. And I read back through Judges, through Gideon. And if you look at Gideon 6, 7, and 8, which is the story of Gideon, in chapter 6, he's learning to hear God's voice and obey. And God never chastises him for questioning what he was doing. He just keeps doing it. Gideon says, I want you to put, you know, do on the, on the rug and not on the grass. And God does it. And then he says for the opposite. And God does it. And he never gets mad because he's training him to obey instantly. When you get through chapter 7, he's obeying. He's cutting his army. He's getting rid of their swords. He's giving them trumpets. 
and they're doing it, and in chapter 8, he has victory. <clears throat> and in, in, in Judges, Gideon is learning to obey God, and you're going to have a season that you get to learn how to obey. And I found this great little clip on the Bible Project, and I love these because they're like little cartoons. Uh, so let's watch this. It's about three minutes long, but this gives you the word that they use, Shema, for listen. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see. The Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son, and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. So in the Bible, when God's speaking, he expects immediate obedience. There is no time where you get to decide if you will obey or not. And this is the season we're in now to learn to hear his voice and to trust him in a way that when he speaks, we don't question it. We just do it. We know him. We're secure in him. 
everything he wants, he gets from me and from you. And when we do that, then we are not only cleansed from the world, but what you're hearing from him will be distributed purely because there's nothing attached to you. Jesus never worried about getting dirty in the world because he wasn't attached to it in any way. So whatever he did, he actually brought cleanliness to the dirt. So when he touched a leper, the leper got well. He didn't get leprosy. And for us to have an impact in this world, we've got to, to be clean and obey instantly so that when we touch a leper, the leper gets well. And we don't get leprosy. Because if you're attached to the world and there's an opening for the enemy, he will come. And he will look for you. He doesn't really care if you're a Christian. He cares if you're listening and obeying. Because that's the only thing that's going to destroy his kingdom. Is, is God's people doing what God says. Because he's the ultimate source of all wisdom. Anything he wants is for our good and the betterment of all men. If they respond. If they don't, then that's their problem. But I don't want to be the reason they don't respond. Because I don't want to have to answer for that. That would be, that'd be bad. So we're coming into, uh, I mean, for me, and it's still hard. I mean, I, I wish I could say, oh, yeah, I instantly obey every time. So what I've started doing is questioning whether I hurt him, just to make sure I get more time. Because <laughs> if I say I've hurt him, I don't have any options left, so i got to back up just a hair. <laughs> I'm not saying we'll ever get it perfect. But if our heart's desire is to strive towards being constantly in communion and obedience to him, he will do everything within his power to make sure we can do it. What it'll expose is if there's any deception in us that says one thing but really wants another. And that's where I usually get in trouble. Um, anything out of complete instant obedience leaves me open to deception because I start to rationalize and reason why maybe it doesn't apply to me now or why we should do it later or... And the same thing goes, I mean, I know we have several schools and classes here at this campus, and we talk a lot about praying for the sick immediately, but very few of us do it. It's because we've never heard from the Lord whether we should or not, number one. And number two, um, we don't really feel like we can, we have the authority or power to do it, partly because of our compromises in the past. And we all need to grow. I'm not saying that we don't. So separate yourself and be cleansed. Learn obedience. And the third season is reintegration into the world. We need to go back with the pure message so that we can actually affect change. And it's not going to be political. It's not going to be economic. Yes, we're supposed to have influence in all the areas of society, but the power comes from God. The wisdom comes from him. And any time he wants to do anything and you cooperate with him, you'll get to enjoy the fruit of that. And it really doesn't matter what the prevailing thought is, what the political climate is. I could care less. And I think the more, you know, what I said earlier, when you have churches that are incorporating political statements into their statement of faith, we're going to have some problems. And you know what? When you're fighting on somebody else's turf, You've got no support. Can you imagine going into a fight and all of your support system is with somebody else? You know, that'd be horrible. 
So Jesus was never afraid to touch a leper. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, I've always thought this passage was fascinating. It says, this is Paul, he said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I did not certainly mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. What I meant was, don't hang out with people who call themselves a brother and do those things. So he has nothing against hanging out with worldly sinners. He expects them to do that. What he has a problem with is people in here who act like that. We're not supposed to hang out with them, which I'm not, so you can hang out with me. <laughs> you ever know, sometimes you say things, you think, that might be a little too hard. Let's, let's say a joke. <laughs> let's do something to lighten the load here. Okay. So he wants us in the world, but if you're, if you're clean and you're obeying instantly, you will have nothing but fruitful ministry everywhere you go because you're only going to do what he tells you to do and you're not going to try to make things happen that he hasn't told you to do and you've got no attachment to the world that will distract you and get you to start compromising. So everything you do will be fruitful and will multiply. And if we can produce in this congregation an organic group of people who, who want freedom from the world, who want to understand exactly what God's saying and obey immediately, we'll see some amazing things in this city, especially in the areas of unity and the things that have, have got us down now, crime and all those things. There's little pockets of, of prayer and things that are going that are good, and they're growing, and they're going to continue to grow. But the more we align with what God is doing, the more it'll grow, and the more it'll bring change to this well, this city first, and then to the rest of the world. And, and the reason it's so important, in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, it says that Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. And so it's not a big deal. His ministers can do the same thing. So unless you have some kind of secret weapon to recognize him, you're not always going to know. And it's going to look good. And the enemy can, can cure people. He can heal people. And if you don't know, I mean, if, if, if I'm having effective healing ministry prayer time and somebody else comes in praying in Satan's name, I mean, they would never say that because they're looking like angels of light and they get healed. What am I going to do if I'm not sure? I'm going to embrace them. I'm going to bring it into the camp. And then you've got a cancer in the camp. And we see it all the time when God starts doing things in, a, in our congregation or in other congregations and something comes through the door that we're not aware of and it's the enemy looking like light. It causes nothing but irreparable damage for a long time until we can root it out. And pretty soon confusion comes. We don't know where it came from and you know where that leads. And so the devil can appear and transform himself into an angel of light which shouldn't scare you because you cannot be deceived if you're doing the work, according to James, staying active, staying with him, and quit playing. Really, that's what, that's the whole thing I should have just, instead of the times they are changing, I should have just said quit playing. I need to quit playing because it's what I impart that makes the difference. It's not what I say. It's the spirit that comes out with my words and it attaches it either exposes or aligns, depending on who I am and based on who you are. 
And politicians and social engineers are not the problem. The problem is principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits. And if you can't recognize them, you can't fight them. I was watching Star Trek the other day, and they had a cloaking device. and They just cloaked the whole ship. And they couldn't shoot them because they couldn't find them. And that's pretty much what it looks like. It's cloaked. You don't know. It's like swinging in the dark and hoping you hit something. And I'd like to end with this. Jim Elliott's daughter is publishing um, his journals, I guess, and, and she had this quote. Her name is uh, Valerie Elliott Shepherd. And one of his quotes was, you will either answer to the rudder or you'll answer to the rocks. And I thought, how appropriate. You're going to answer to something. And if we learn to, to separate from the world, to obey instantly, and to go back into the world, we never have to worry about the rocks because we'll be answering to the rudder and we'll be following the guide that's supposed to be leading us. And as we take communion today, um, I really want, I mean, I really want the Lord to just speak to each of you wherever you are. I have no idea where you are. I know where I am. I know what he wants from me. Always seems to be a little bit costly, but I haven't been able to talk him out of that yet. Uh, but there is a, a time to, to just let the Lord search your heart. If I could have the uh, ushers come up and get ready and the worship team, we're going to do it a little bit different today. Not in the how we're going to do it. We're still going to, you know, if you're in these two sections, come down the middle and go around and then these two come to the, the inner aisle and go around back to your seat. Um, but I want to read a scripture about communion. It's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four to 26. Remembering what Jesus did, really. That's what all this is about. It's putting us back at the beginning, a remembrance of what God did for us. It says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the blood, or he, <laughs> he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. So I'm going to pray. And then I would like for one minute of total silence. And just ask the Lord if there's anything in you in the area of being attached to the world, to obedience, or into re-engaging the world after you've come out that he wants to talk to you about. And then after that, uh, Mavis and the gang will start. So let me pray. Father, we bless you, and we honor you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this room, that you would search our hearts, that you would show us anything that's not of you, anything you want to change, anything you want to make an adjustment on. I pray for the grace to be able to obey immediately. I ask for the wisdom and understanding to know where it's coming from, and I ask that you would give us the power to stop it and to kill it ourselves. 
You bring us the enemy and we destroy them. 